Welcome to Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association's podcast. In Mark 16:15, Jesus says, "Go throughout the whole world and preach the gospel to every person." This good news sermon was given in the Great Auditorium in Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Visit oceangrove.org to learn how we're fulfilling our mission to provide people of all ages with opportunities for spiritual birth, growth, and renewal through worship, educational, cultural, and recreational programs at the Jersey Shore. Good morning. I'm Michael Badger, president of the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association. And on behalf of the Board of Trustees, welcome. Welcome to worship in the Great Auditorium and online. Our call to worship today comes from Ephesians chapter 4. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in, in all, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Today's speaker in the Great Auditorium is the Reverend Dr. Jim Bindling. His biography is in the bulletin and online, but I just want to share with you what a powerful proclamation of the Word of God you are going to get from him today. Um, He is at Church of the Open Door. Um, I believe they have four campuses in the Cleveland area and one in the Dominican Republic. Is that right? That's right. So continue to pray for what God's doing uh, through Pastor uh, Jim and through the Open Door Ministry. He has a very unique approach of, of powerfully proclaiming, but making real to us today and what God is doing through the power of the gospel. Listen closely for a special message to God from God to you today. Good morning. Well, last time I preached here, there was hardly anybody here. This is so great. Welcome back to, uh, yeah. <laughs> you have an amazing tradition here, and um, I am so glad to be invited back. We had such a great time last year, and I can see a few faces that I met last year. Uh, my wife and I, Andrea, we had a wonderful time with you. And uh, when I was preaching through the Bible Hour last year, I kept feeling like, oh man, I wish I had a couple more days, another week, because what I talked about last week, last year, was, um, the the theme was joyful and hope, and so instead of pursuing joy, I suggested we pursue Jesus, the man of joy, and the more we become like Jesus, the more joy comes. It's kind of like trying to hold the ocean in your hands. The more you squeeze it, it just kind of, you know, leaves. But if we pursue Jesus and become more like him, we find that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc., begin to rise and get formed in our life. Because, see, all of us are being shaped and formed by something. Everyone hearing my voice today, is being shaped. Those of you online, those of you here in the auditorium, those of you who are listening after the fact, it doesn't matter whether you're religious or not. It doesn't matter whether you're spiritual or not. Everybody is being shaped and formed by something. What are you being shaped and formed by? No matter what your age is today, I have a question for you. What is shaping your life? Because you are the one that gets to decide what will shape 
Who will shape your life? That decision is in your hands. So last year, we discovered by following Jesus and learning about Christ-likeness how we might become more like Christ, discovered the spiritual formation process is a process of the Holy Spirit shaping our hearts, our lives, our language, our imagination, everything to become more and more like Christ. That's our, that's our birthright. That's what God built us. That's what he designed us to do. Your purpose in life is to become more like Christ. And as we cooperate with the Spirit, he does that. He shapes us. He forms us. We call that spiritual formation. And again, some people think that spiritual formation is only happening in the church or amongst Christians. But every human being is in the process of spiritual formation. question we need to ask ourselves is, what spirit is forming us? What spirit is shaping us? So as I'm preaching and doing the Bible Hour last year, I, was, I kept thinking, oh, I wish I had a couple more days or a week to talk more about the Holy Spirit's role in shaping our lives and how we might be able to cooperate with what he's doing. So we can step into the same process that Jesus lived when he walked on this earth. Because if there's anybody who could have lived in their own strength and their own power, it was Jesus of Nazareth. And yet the Bible teaches us that he lived led by the Spirit in the power of the Spirit. And he lived his remarkable life in the power of the Spirit. And that's the only way that I or you can live the Christian life. Because the Christian life, if you haven't discovered yet, is impossible to live. Thought I might get an amen. amen. <laughs> the Christian life, as the Bible describes it, is impossible to live. And if you found yourself frustrated, there's a good reason. Because you can't live the Christian life, comma, in your own strength. The Bible, God's designed that it is impossible so that you would press in to the, the life of the Holy Spirit, that you might surrender and live surrendered to the Holy Spirit so he might shape your lives. And here is the sad thing that I have seen as over 30 years as a pastor. And I've never seen an exception to this yet, that a person becomes a Christian, they become made new, they're renewed, that is, they become a, born, they're born again, and they begin to grow. Some grow a month and then plateau. Some grow a week and then plateau. Some grow six months, five years, ten years. But in every single Christian's life, including my own, every Christian I've known gets to a point where they plateau and they stop growing. Can, can, can we just be honest? It's true of every single one of you. I don't even know 99.9% .9 of you, but I know this is true about every one of you. You have plateaued in your faith at some point. So what did you do when you started to plateau? And don't look at me like, well, I never have. When you plateaued, what did you do about it? 
Did you just kind of go through the motions and pretend? Because it seems like that's what everybody else is doing. Did you kind of think, well, what? there's something wrong with me because no one else has plateaued. I must be a bad Christian. Did you become a hypocrite? Did, did you just give up on the faith and say, I guess I can't do this? What did you do when you plateaued? And have you ever got growing again? The sadder truth, the more sad truth, because you know the sad truth is that everybody plateaus. The more sad truth is that so many people are willing to stay at that plateaued place. And I want to look every one of you in the eye and say, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. When you reach a plateau in your life, you can do something about it. It's called renewal. <laughs> it just so happens that your theme for this year is renewed in spirit. And uh, I got to say, when I was finishing up last year's Bible hour, I was like, oh man, I wish I had more time to talk about how the Holy Spirit works in our life and how he renews us and how we might be able to learn to cooperate with the Spirit. I'm like, oh man, time's up, week's up. Oh, I'd love to have more time. <laughs> and so when I got invited back, which was cool, I was like, okay, what is the theme for next year? And I could hardly believe it when I discovered months later that the theme is renewed in spirit. I know this didn't happen, but it's almost like the Holy Spirit said to the program committee, hey, this guy, Jim, he's got more to say. Uh, here's the theme for 2021, how to live in the power of the spirit, how to be renewed in spirit, what that looks like. So thank you, program committee, for, uh, this is kind of an audacious thing to say, thank you for listening to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Uh, no, but I, I, was, I was thrilled to be able to talk about this. And I wrote a whole book called Learn to Breathe. Mike mentioned it. And this book, Learn to Breathe, is about how learning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I'm very excited. I think this is a revolutionary truth for anyone who wants to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And anyone who is honest enough to say, Yes, I have plateaued, and I would do anything to get off of that plateau. I want to grow again. How do I do that? Well, the, the answer is to be renewed. <laughs> so then I discovered that not only was this theme being renewed in spirit, it's just perfect for what I want to talk about, the text that you chose, program committee, and I don't know who you are, for this theme for the summer is from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. So will you turn there? Do you have your Bibles? Ephe yes. You, uh, you have good. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I will do the same. And um, <laughs> when I was talking to Natalie uh, about this theme and about what I would preach on, I discovered I was the second preacher of the summer, and I'm like, oh, man, I bet you that, that first preacher is going to preach from Ephesians 4, 23. Rats. Um, and to my delight, not only are you using a theme that I love, Roger Casey, Pastor Casey, preached a great sermon last week and mentioned Ephesians 4.23, but he did not preach from Ephesians 4.23, so I'm going to. And um, oof, this is a phenomenal passage, but it only gets the tip of the iceberg. So let's look at this passage from Ephesians chapter 4. 
And, you know, if you're trying to understand the Bible, which I I trust you are, one of the biggest mistakes you can possibly make to try to understand a verse is to read that verse all by itself and ignore the neighborhood, ignore the context that it's in. So I don't want to commit that error, so I want to start reading at verse 17 to kind of get a running start, and then you'll see our verse, verse 23. And can we stand to honor the word of the Lord? Um, I love to do that when we read God's word together. So here we are, Ephesians 4, uh, 17. Paul the apostle is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, so I tell you this. By the way, I'm reading out of the New International Version. So I tell you this and insist on it. I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. That is, people who don't know God. No longer live as people who don't know God. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That sounds like United States of America to me. That, however, verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. the, the, the best way to translate this actually is that is not how you learned Christ, which is a cool phrase. That's not the way you learned Christ when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, Christians, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And here's our verse. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. Okay, you may be seated. Um, well, I got time to talk about this one verse, verse 23 today. And um, if you have a Bible, like a digital Bible on your phone, and you like to compare translations, you might just find that this verse, verse 23, is translated all different kinds of ways because it's one of the most difficult verses to translate in the Bible. Don't know if you knew that. And if you can compare the the ESV, the NIV, the NASB, the NLT, the King James, and you'll find all these different ways that this one verse is translated. Why? Because it's, it's a difficult verse to translate. Like, for instance, the, the ESV says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Hear that word, spirit. The NIV, which we read, says to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So one version has the word attitude. Another word, version has the word spirit, small s, The New Living Translation says, so let the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, renew you in your thoughts and your attitudes. Those are three crazily different translations. Let me review. One is the idea of attitude. One deal is the idea of your spirit, the human spirit. And the other translation is about the Holy Spirit. Which one is it? Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> Which one is it? It's, well, all three of those translations, I know the Greek, and all three of those translations are accurate. All three of those translations reflect what Paul is trying to say, but there's a little nuance that's different in each one. But one thing, all three translations that I just referred to you to, the NIV, the ESV, and the NLT, all three have in common this idea of being renewed. So before we talk about how we're renewed or what is exactly renewed, let's talk about this renewal idea. And it's very simple. It simply means to make something or worn out that need to be renewed. But since I'm in a boating community, let me use a boat illustration. When I, um, when I moved to the church that I'm currently at in Cleveland, Ohio, 18 years ago, a guy in the church found out that I loved the water. He took me out on a boat. And um, we had a great time. It was, you know, Lake Erie, and sometimes the waves get big on Lake Erie, and a storm swept up, similar to like the Sea of Galilee, because it's a shallow lake, and big old waves, you know, going up and down. And, and I'm on the front of the boat going, yes! Like, you're riding it like a horse, you know, going, yeah, this is awesome! My friend is in the back looking green, and he's, he's dying. And the owner of the boat goes, boy, you like the water, don't you? I'm like, oh, yeah. He goes... That's great because I'm thinking about moving to, I think, Corpus Christi, Texas, and I need to give the boat to someone. Do you want it? I said, what? He goes, do you want the boat? I'm like, well, yeah. I've never had a boat in my life. I don't know what to do with it, but I love the water. So he gave me the boat. Now, you understand, this boat was old and it was the fiberglass was fading. Those of you who are boaters know that colored fiberglass fades. This was fire engine red when it was first painted. But now, as an old boat, it was this oxidated, nasty, pinkish, white color. And it was pitiful. And after I said yes and looked at the boat, I'm like, ooh, pink, splotchy, oxidated. So um, I said to him, you know, how do you restore this? He goes, oh, you gotta have to, you're going to have to repaint it. And it's like $10,000. I'm like, whoa. No, thank you. So I tried all these different ways to restore the color, to renew the color. And one day I was at this old marina, this marina, talking to this old guy. He talked to the old sailors. They know all the tricks. And I was telling him about my boat. I said, do you know any old tricks about how to, you know, renew, restore? There's that word, restore. Restore the, the paint, the finish. He goes, oh, yeah, here's an old trick. You take this stuff called Penetrol, which is used on the stainless steel for riggings on sailboats, and that painters put into paints of can to make it apply better, you rub this product into the fiberglass of your boat, and it'll bring out the red. And I'm like, sweet, how much does this cost? He goes, eight bucks. I'm like, deal. So, so I go buy two or three cans of this stuff. You can still get it today called Penetrol. And I cleaned the boat and then started rubbing in this Penetrol. And the red, the fire engine red came out. And I'm like, oh, baby, this is a sweet boat now. And when this guy that moved, he was a doctor, came back a couple years later, he said, you know, hey, you want to go on the boat? And I'm like, yeah. So he drives up and he's like, you forked out the $10,000? I said, no, it cost me eight, or actually 16 bucks. I told him the story. And he's like, ah! I wish I had known that. But it, it, it made it beautiful. It made it new again. And that fire engine red just was brilliant. So this idea of renewal is to make something that's faded, worn out, gotten tired, make it as if it's new again. And 
This is what Paul is saying that he wants to see happen in people's lives because life has a way of wearing us down. Isn't that true? And it doesn't matter whether you're 10 or 15 or 25 or 45 or 55 or 105. Life has a way of wearing us down. And some of us have gone through in this past year, while the whole world has gone through COVID, some of us have gone through the darkest days of our life. I know, and you do too, personally, people who have experienced great loss. And in a way, we're kind of sick of talking about COVID, aren't we? But we, we, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. It's just enough to say that it's worn many of us down. The stress, the physical, the emotional, the mental stress, the, the, the toll it's taken on our bodies. And it's, it's worn even the best of us down. And the social scientists tell us it'll be years before we can fully account for the effects of stress, mental and emotional stress on people's lives due to COVID. We can count the number of people that got the illness. We can count the number of people that died, but we're far from being able to count the amount of people and the amount of stress that has taken its toll on us as people, as marriages, as churches, as communities, as a nation, as a world. But we don't need to have polls and numbers to realize it's, it's affected us. It's affected us in great ways. We need to be renewed. And so this verse 2,000 years later is remarkably relevant to where we are today. And that's just because I'm referring to the COVID pandemic. Take COVID out. This would have been inappropriate for us two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Why? Because what Paul is doing in this verse is he's creating a contrast. You saw it between the people who don't know God in verses 17 through 19 who are living their lives in the futility of their thinking, who are living lives of emptiness, whose, whose hearts, verse 18, are darkened, I mean, whose minds are darkened and whose hearts are hard, who have lost all sensitivity and now they're living lives of impurity and greed. I said when I read that, boy, that sounds like United States of America. But let me remind you, Paul's talking to the church. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Furthermore, if you've got your Bible still open, notice verse 17 where he says, I tell you this and insist on it that you must no longer live this way. In other words, he's not warning them, hey, don't fall into this, don't live this way. He's saying you already are. As Christians, you're living as if you don't know God. You're living with a futility an emptiness. No, wait, you know better. You're Christians. You've been born again. But there's no getting around that this verse 17 that Paul, when he uses the phrase, no longer, he is clearly saying, this is the way you're living now. And again, without even knowing any of your stories, I know in a room like this, there's a lot of you who are living today as if you're not Christians. You're living as if Jesus has not changed you. 
You're living as if you believe that you can just say a couple nice words, maybe even be emotional about it, and pretend that everything's changed. But your life is not changed. Why not? Because you've been conformed, Romans 12:1. you've been conformed to this world. The world is active, when I say the world, I mean the, the spirit of the age is actively trying to shape us. Remember how I started this sermon? To conform us, to shape our thinking in exact opposite ways to what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. And if we don't intentionally counteract that shaping, that formation, we will be conformed to the spirit of our age and we will be just like the people's talking about, Paul's talking about in Ephesians 4. We will be living in the futility of our thinking. Our hearts will get hard. Our understanding will get darkened. We will find ourselves going after things we would never have thought of. Greed, impurity will begin to characterize our life. Christians, how can this be? <laughs> because you have an enemy. You have an enemy who's doing everything he can to shape you, to lead you away from Christ. This is what Paul wrote to Christians 2,000 years ago, and it's still happening today. So who is it that needs to be renewed? Who is he talking about? Well, he's actually talking about every Christian, every Christian, because we all need to be renewed, but specifically he's talking about Christians who are worn out, burned out, tired, being conformed to the world, understanding is darkened, lives are full of greed, carnal Christian, disobedient Christians, Christians who have plateaued and never stopped growing. He's talking about a lot of different Christians. He's talking about you and me. So there's the idea of being renewed. How? Can we get to the how? How does this, how do I get renewed? Well, I could be kind of snarky and say, come back to Bible Hour tomorrow. Because I will, I mean, I will answer the question there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. All week long, we're going to explore the how. How do we get renewed in spirit? And even after I spend a week doing it, I'll, I'll need more time. Can I come back next, the week after this? No, I, I know I can't. Just kidding. Um, there's so much to learn. There's so much to, to, dis to discover. But let's start here. The how to how I get renewed, verse 23, in the spirit of my mind is, an, I could also answer the question, we need to learn to breathe. That's just a little shameless plug for my book. We need to learn to breathe. What, what do I mean when I say that? Well, there is this fascinating Terrible, this fascinating play on words that is throughout the whole Bible that a lot of us don't see that actually begins in the very first words of the whole Bible and goes throughout the Bible, this play on words, this parable, this powerful truth goes throughout the Bible even into the book of Revelation and I want to let you in on that little secret this morning. It's fascinating to me that your program guide, which I just was handed just a couple minutes before I, I stood up here to preach, on your program guide, uh, we're on the read where it says renewed in spirit, and then it says in the beginning God, and we all know where that comes from, 
The very first words of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. So let's turn there. This is just so cool. I don't know who put that there. Thank you. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the... Now your verse, your Bible says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here's where this second verse of the whole Bible, here's where this, this parable, this living parable, this play on words begins to happen. That is that both in the Hebrew Old Testament and in the Greek New Testament, God has designed this idea of spirit, whether it's small s, referring to your human spirit, or capital S, referring to the Holy Spirit, God has designed this word spirit to be reflective of the very breath we breathe. Here's what I mean by that. The Hebrew word for breath is the same Hebrew word for spirit, is the same Hebrew word for wind. It's, it, let's, let's, let's be Hebrew scholars today. It's the word ruach. Now, in order to say it right, you have to spit at the end. And the spit can't come out of your lips. It has to come out of the back of your throat. Aren't you glad you came to church today? So to say it right, ruach, you need to have that little try with me. Ruach. Now, this is not just a little exercise in nothing. This is significant. This might be one of the most important words in the whole Bible. Because ruach refers to the spirit of God. It refers to your human spirit. It refers to your breath. In fact, there are some times where it's not clear how should we translate this word ruach. Should we translate it breath or wind or air or spirit? See, in English, we've got a word for breath. It doesn't mean spirit. It means breath. We've got a word for spirit. It doesn't mean breath. It means spirit. We've got a word for wind. We have a word for air. But in Hebrew and in Greek, there's one word that means all of those things. In Greek, it's pneuma like a pneumatic tool, it's an air-powered tool. So, so the, the Bible has got this cool um, living parable that shows up in the second verse of the whole Bible, and the Spirit of God was hovering, the breath of God, the mist. It's, the idea is this kind of a mist hovering, this like, um, like when you go out and when it's cold and you breathe in that mist, that's the idea of this, this, this concept. The Spirit of God, the breath of God is hovering. Now, watch this. Very next verse. We saw in verse 2, the Spirit of God is hovering. Verse 3, and God said. Now, you know what happens when God says. God says light, bam, light shows up. God says giraffes, giraffes, bam, show up. God says planets, he says vegetables, you know. Well, he probably wouldn't have said vegetables, he would have said meat. You know, when whatever God says happens, if there's power in this word, God merely speaks. Now, when he speaks, his breath comes out. So, the breath of God in verse 2 is now the creative agent of verse 3. God speaks and galaxies leap into existence. There's power in this breath. There's power in this word. Now, turn with me. Actually, hold your place in Genesis chapter 1 because we're going to come back there and turn to Psalms. The Psalm I want to look at is Psalm 33. 
Oh, this is so cool. Keeping in mind what we just learned in verse 2 and verse 3 of Genesis 1, that the word of the Lord, God speaks and creation happens. Look at Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. That's exactly what we saw in Genesis chapters 1, verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth, or the spirit of his mouth. It's that word ruach. And we don't know how to translate that. Should that be the spirit of his mouth, the capital S, because that's the Holy Spirit? Or is that the breath? I mean, what is the breath of God? Here is the breath of God. The breath of God is the Spirit of God. When God breathes out, that's His Holy Spirit. What an incredible thought. So God breathes out creation. Remember 2 Timothy chapter 3 when it says the, the Word of God is God-breathed? Same idea. God's breath is creative, is powerful, because God's breath is God's spirit. And throughout the Bible, there's this play on words that God breathes into us and we become alive. Since I asked you to hold your place in Genesis, and you did, now look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. You know the story here. God's created, you know, all these things. And he gets down to the last day of creation. Verse 7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man came alive. He became a living being. So the idea here is that Adam is like a, a, a mannequin in a store window or a, a corpse. He, he, he's a body, but he's not alive. And God breathes into him, and he comes alive. The exact same thing that happened in the New Testament where the second Adam lay dead. You know the story. Jesus, the second Adam, crucified, buried, laid in the tomb. His body is there, but there's no breath in it. And the breath of God, the Spirit of God, breathes into Jesus, resurrection power, and bam, he's alive. So it's a, it's a picture of Genesis 1. There's a dead body, God breathes into it, he comes alive. Jesus, dead body, God breathes into him, he comes alive. It's how you became a Christian. You were a body that was alive physically, but you were dead spiritually. And when you were born again, God breathed into you the breath of God, the spirit of God, and you came alive. It's a picture of Adam and Jesus. That's what it means to be born again, to be made new, is that God breathes his breath into you. He breathes his spirit into you. And that's how you are born again. That's how you are made new. And now go back to Ephesians 4 because that's the word, the very word that Paul uses to describe this idea of being renewed in spirit. It's the word pneuma. It's that same word we talked about in the Greek. God renews us in our spirit. Where is that? Only God knows. But there is something inside of us that God can breathe into his breath that makes us alive. Now, here's the, here's the key. I believe, I can't prove this, but I believe that God has given you and I a living parable in our 
physical breathing. Everyone here knows how to breathe. Everybody here knows how to do the central action of life. That's breathing. There's nothing more central. You stop breathing, you die. Everybody breathes. Everybody knows how to do breathing. Everybody knows how to do the central action, but very few people know how to do that central action in the central area of their life. What I mean by that is you are more than a physical body. You are a spiritual being. And I believe that God has given us a parable. Just how we breathe to live physically, that's how we that's how we live spiritually. Just like every day I take a breath. I don't take a breath at the beginning of the day and go, <gasps> got to make it to the day on that one breath. And, and not even thinking about you know, breathing once a year or once a life. No, you continually breathe, right? Can I just see the hands over here of everyone who continually breathes? Can I just see your hands? Oh, some of you are dead. How do you do that? You're amazing. But most of you, you're breathing. You know how to breathe. What a stupid title for a book. Learn to breathe. No, it's because while we know how to leave, breathe to live physically, we don't know how to breathe spiritually. And it's the secret to living the Christian life. What I mean is to learn how to tap into the Holy Spirit's breath, how to cooperate with the Spirit's breathing in you, empowering you, enabling you to live the Christian life. You need to learn to breathe. And when you do, when you learn that, that your spirit is made alive by the breath of God, that your human spirit is to be filled with the spirit of God and that's how you live the Christian life and that's how you continue to live the Christian life. Once you learn that secret, everything changes. Now, now watch this. Back to this verse in Ephesians 4.23. Isn't it fascinating that um, verse 22 and verse 24 use a tense that refers to a, a one-time thing, but verse 23 uses a tense called the present infinitive, which means it's an ongoing repetitive process. Think about that. You need to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and this renewal is an ongoing, regular, repetitive process. What that we just talked about is the central, ongoing, renewing, repetitive process. It's breathing. Is Paul, as in other places, giving us a hint here? I want, I'm praying for the, you to be renewed, for you to learn to breathe, for you to learn how to tap into the Holy Spirit so he's constantly, regularly, repetitively renewing you. And he uses the same kind of language in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, when he says, be filled with the Spirit, but it literally means keep on being filled again and again and again with the Spirit. Keep breathing. Keep, keep letting the breath of God breathe into you. And see, this is what we're going to talk about this week. How does that happen? What does that mean? Well, do you need to come back? Because this is, we're going to unpack this, how this actually works. Because friends, I can't be more serious than this. The most important need in your life right now is your need to breathe. That's true physically, and it is true spiritually. 
You need to breathe. And probably, did you hear that? <laughs> that was cool. You need to learn to breathe. So let me close with this. Um, when I was a kid, eight years old, living in southern Ohio, my mom and dad bought a farm. And there were some horses there. And we had never been around horses. And they were like, hey, stay away from those horses. They look gentle. They look nice. But they can be dangerous. So, you know, the only time you can ride the horses is when we're with you, mom and dad said. So what do you think I did when mom and dad left one day? Well, I tried to go out and ride the horse. But the horse was too big for me. I'm just a little guy. I'm eight years old. So I, I'm brilliant. I thought, I don't know what I'll do. I'll lead the horse over next to a fence, tie it up, and then I'll climb the fence, just jump on the, on the horse. I'm good. It seemed to be a brilliant idea in my eight-year-old mind. But things didn't go the way I planned. So uh, I, September was the name of the horse. Drag her over to the, to the fence, tied her up, climbed up the fence. And instead of kind of stepping off the fence and you know, gently you know, climbing on the horse, I jumped. And when I landed on her back, she freaked out and she bucked me off. And next thing you know, I'm flying through the air and I land on my back in this barnyard. And what do you think happens when I landed on my back? I got the, the breath, the air knocked out of me. And I'm laying on the ground. <laughs> Anybody had the air knocked out, the breath knocked out of them? Don't you, when you remember this happened, didn't you think you were going to die? Because you can't breathe. You, you don't know that what's actually happened is you've created a spasm in your diaphragm. You don't know that. My, certainly my eight-year-old brain didn't know that. All I knew was that I couldn't breathe. And the most important thing in my life at that moment was to breathe. And it's amazing to me that as an eight-year-old boy, God gave me an experience that later on in life I would begin to look back on and go, that lesson that I learned as an eight-year-old boy is the most important lesson I can teach anyone. That is how to breathe and to help people realize we need to breathe. Because what is tragic today is the church of Jesus Christ is full of people who think they're Christians, and, and maybe some of them are, but they're dead. They've plateaued. They've stopped growing. And there's so much more available if you can just learn to breathe. So I'm, I actually am serious. I'm done. Come back tomorrow morning and we'll, I'll talk about how to do this. It, it will transform your life. And to that end, I pray, oh God, transform us. There are some people listening to me today who are honestly saying, I want that. I am plateaued. I want to grow again. There are others that are saying, I didn't realize that I had stopped growing. I've never heard this. I want to be restored to the joy of my salvation. Oh God, will you do it in an 80-year-old? Will you do it in a 90-year-old? Will you do it in a 60-year-old? Will you do it in a 10-year-old? Will you do it in a 12-year-old? Will you do it in a 15-year-old? God, will you renew us? I know that's what you want to do. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit again and again? Would you teach us how to breathe, how to cooperate with your breath and make us alive?
again. For we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let me give you a closing prayer. Father, breathe into your people even this moment. And every time we feel a breeze off of the ocean, every time we see the wind blow, maybe we are reminded of the wind of God, the Spirit of God, the breath of God. Breathe into these your children today and make them alive again and again. Renew them by your Spirit. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more about attending a worship service in the Great Auditorium, additional programs offered by the Ocean Grove Camp Meeting Association, and social media links, go to oceangrove.org.